0: audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. Just a moment, I'd like you to contemplate, contemplate your very favorite candy bar. Okay? Very favorite candy bar. Um, Some of you might have several favorite candy bars. We'll break it down to one. All right, top three, sorry, just eeny, miny miny, mo. if you have to. I know we got some candy bar lovers in here, all right? George Winchin was in the first service. I've never seen George go past, ever seen him go past the gas station without pulling in and getting a Butterfinger candy bar. I don't even know what he does with all those Butterfinger candy bars. My goodness, but all right, so I want you to think about this. Think about this now. Now, I want you to contemplate that candy bar. Now, what I want you to imagine is another candy bar that's like that times 10. And I don't mean amount here. I'm talking about flavor, texture, all, everything that makes it good to you. Just make it better. And let's say I've got one of those candy bars. And I'm going to give that candy bar to you absolutely pro bono, free. It's yours. You can have it. But here's the condition. You got to eat it. Now here's the thing. I give you this bar You eat it, and it will not only sustain you for the rest of your life, but you will never, ever be hungry again. Do any of you want that candy bar? We got a few. We got a few, all right? It's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting because even the way in which you would answer that question shows a little bit about the perspective you might have when it comes to this passage in Luke 6, And a little bit Matthew 5, but more specifically Luke 6. Because here's the deal. I give you this candy bar and you're required to eat it. This is what's going to happen. No more perfectly prepared medium. Okay, John, I listen to you, all right? Don't say I don't ever listen to you, John Whitworth. Or I'm going to switch this up, this service. All right? No more perfectly prepared medium porterhouse steaks. Okay, no more, no more, no more ice cream on top. No more, no more chicken fried steak and mashed potatoes and gravy. Because why? Because you're not ever going to be hungry again. You're never going to want it again. Now, how many of you still want the candy bar? As we're in this sermon right now, it is the intro to Jesus. There's a sermon on a plane. There's a sermon on the mount. We need to understand, we've talked about this some already, but we need to understand it, okay? That's what we need to understand. This is not verbatim what Jesus had to say. Not in any way whatsoever. This is kind of a Cliff Notes version, okay? I'm guessing that Jesus spoke for quite some extended period of time. So what we have going on here is this Cliff Notes version. And in this Cliff Notes version, we've got the introduction to it. And we've labeled that the Beatitudes. And what we need to understand about these Beatitudes, first of all, is we will see even yet today that Matthew takes more of a spiritual angle with this and Luke more of a physical angle, a a life, material life angle to it. We'll, We'll talk about that more here in just a second. Okay? These Beatitudes are not qualities to pick and choose from. It's not eight things, and of those eight, I'll pick two or three of them I can do. I can't do the rest of them, but I can do these three. No, 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 that's not this. this. These eight Beatitudes collectively are a description of the follower of Jesus Christ. The first four are more vertical in nature, meaning this. It's between our relationship between us and God. Now, the last four is the relationship between us and people and how that relationship with God affects our relationship with people. This is kind of interesting because that models very, very well matches up with the way the Ten Commandments work, first and the second part of them. All right, all that being said, there's a word that's going to jump off the page as we look both to Luke and Matthew. Now, I'm cherry-picking from the New American Standard here. Okay? Yours might say something just a little bit different, but it means the same thing. And this is it. Satisfaction. Satisfaction. See if you can, see if you can finish this statement for me. Satisfaction guaranteed or... Your money back. All right. You know, I've eaten at a number of restaurants, a number of sit-down restaurants. I've never sat down at a restaurant, ordered off a menu, and seen in bold print at the end of that menu or the beginning, uh, if you don't like the food, you'll give you your money back or you don't have to pay for it. Okay? Now I have, seen, I have seen satisfaction guaranteed or your money back on really, really small print on the back of some package of something you bought, you know, like at Walmart. It's usually right underneath the part that tells you how much you shouldn't eat, whatever you're eating, tells you how bad for you it is, you know, the chart. Okay, right underneath that, it's like, if you don't like this and you're not fully satisfied, contact this number or, or send a letter or something with proof of purchase. I'm telling you, how many, they know they know you're not gonna go through all that trouble for $1.85. They know their guarantee doesn't mean anything because nobody's gonna go all the way through that, all right? Satisfaction guaranteed. Let's take a look at it. Luke chapter six, verse 21. And we're not even gonna look at the entirety of the verse. We're just gonna look at the first part of it. And this is what it says. It says, "Blessed, blessed are you who hunger now for you shall be satisfied. Okay, now this is a little bit out of our element. Just looking around and, and, and knowing probably what life is like for the majority of us in this room. What I mean by that is this there's probably every one of us I, I shouldn't say that, I shouldn't say every, but I'm guessing the majority of us in this room, when we told our moms and dads once upon a time from the back seat, I'm starving. You know, when mom or dad looked in the rearview mirror, did not see emaciated people who are withering away and about to blow away with the wind, all right? I mean, we might say the words, we might say the words, but they don't really mean the reality of what's going on here. The day that this was spoken, a little different. I'm going to read it for you again. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied Luke, as I said, focuses more on the physical when it comes to the way he highlights these words of Jesus. And Luke, remember, is written very specifically to a specific group of people with a very specific theme. It was written to Gentile people. Let me tell you something. Life in the Roman Empire was pretty rough. It was pretty fallen. As powerful as an empire Rome was, there was not much of a social safety net to catch people who were hungry. There just wasn't. So, so, Luke highlighted in his gospel the injustice of a fallen world. Now, that being said, we talked about this three weeks ago. Do not misunderstand. Being poor does not make someone righteous. There are a tremendous number of wicked, poor people in this world, okay? And that righteous thing, that's a little preview of what we're going to jump into next. So, hold on to that. But as we said a couple of weeks ago, when we talked about blessed are the poor... The poor tend to have fewer distractions in life. They simply do. There's less between them and the Lord. You see, we cannot see completely and totally the the picture painted by Luke without reading the following woe. Because that's the way he sets up some of these beatitudes. Blessed, and then he follows a little bit later with woe. So go, go forward a few verses to verse 25. And this is what it says. Woe to you who are well fed now. For you shall be hungry. You shall be hungry. Let me ask you something. Because I'm guessing most of us in this room are well fed. I'm guessing most of us in this room have pantries full of food. We have freezers full of food, and the only thing to worry about those freezers full of food is if the electricity goes off for a couple days. Then, well, I don't know what's going to happen here, all right? I mean, we've got cupboards, we've got cabinets, and we've got food, and we've got food on top of food. There there are people in our world who couldn't even fathom that. So you've got a room built in your house just for food, and it's full? Let me ask you something. When you have pantries, when we have when we have freezers, and even an extra refrigerator, what need is there for trust? I mean, we not only are we going to eat tomorrow, we know what we're going to eat six months from now. As I said, sometimes this sermon has a tendency to turn things upside down a little bit. There are people in this world who could not contemplate that, who could not fathom that. And this is the thing. These beatitudes are about the coming kingdom of God, but they're also about the kingdom that exists now. You see, a part of God's kingdom is alive and well and his people. But there is a coming fulfillment of that kingdom that is going to be beyond imagining. And in that coming kingdom, when Christ returns, in that kingdom, there will be no one going hungry. But for now, those who are well fed, we who are well fed, are we keeping our eyes open to those who are not? Don't get me wrong, full stomachs are not the end-all be-all. Okay? Saved souls are the goal. But when Jesus is in this world, he came to proclaim good news to the poor. He came to proclaim good news to the hungry. As a matter of fact, when Jesus said, that guy named John, now there's several Johns in, in the Gospels, all right, but the one I'm talking about specifically is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was in prison. Some of you remember this. And while he's in prison, he began to come disillusioned just a little bit, and he sent some people to go ask Jesus. Some of his followers said, are you really the one?" That we've been waiting for? Are you really the Messiah? And you remember how Jesus answered his question? He talked about the lame being healed. And he said this, the poor, the poor will have a light shine on them. You see, there is something to be said for this, even with Jesus. But Jesus' greater concern was that people of this world would be citizens in his kingdom. That is what was primary. And as his followers, we cannot miss the importance of filling both empty stomachs and empty souls. Okay. Now let's turn over to Matthew because we're going to see this satisfied word again, but we're going to be talking about something different. This is a whole different kind of satisfaction. As we said, what Matthew tends to do is he tends to spiritualize these words, the spiritual angle to it, okay? And as we look at this, We're going to look specifically at Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. And I think you will catch the difference here. And this is what he says. Blessed blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Okay, this is third service. We should be alive, well, and awake here. Everybody should be awake unless you've already fallen asleep. Okay, all right. So first service, I was like, if I don't hear anything out of you because we need some participation here, all right, we're going to get up and do some calisthenics. Don't I'll, I'll make you do some calisthenics, all right? So, so need to hear something. We're asking for a response here. Here's the question. Where do we as Christians find righteousness? Okay, I'm going to give you a little hint here. This is one of the two Sunday school answers. You only got two Sunday school answers, all right? Just two will usually answer 99.9% of the questions, all right? So if you say one of those two, you've got a 50-50 shot of getting it right. Where do we find righteousness? In the Lord. Very good. Jesus. I was was waiting for the Bible. That's the other answer, by the way, okay? Bible and Jesus. Right. All right, okay. I'm not going to give you a piece of candy for doing that. Appreciate it, though. All right, so what we got here is we find righteousness through Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's because of the cross. Let me ask you another question. Did Jesus preach this sermon before or after the cross? Before. Quite a while before the cross. So here's another question. Is Jesus here talking about the righteousness found in him? No. No, this is something different. This is before the cross. Now listen to him. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, preacher. Just bear with me for a second. Let me ask you something. Think of the last time you were really hungry. All right, we've already made it very, very clear that most of us in this room have never been starving. Okay, there might be a few who have, but most have not. But you can think of those times when you're really hungry. Maybe worked a double shift or something like that and you just didn't have time to eat. Or maybe, like, like myself, you, you've, you've got that diabetes thing going on. I'm telling you what, when your blood sugar gets low, you will eat the entire fridge. Now, not the fridge, but everything in it, you will. All right, trust me, okay? So I want you to think for a moment of when's the last time you were really, really hungry. And let me ask you something. How does that compare, that hunger that you felt, how does it compare for... To your, to our hunger for being right. Well, preacher, I love being right. No, I'm not talking about being right in an argument. I'm talking about being right with God. Let me frame this up a little bit differently. This is a question I want all of us to ask ourselves. Do we crave righteousness? Righteousness? Do I crave, do you crave righteousness? Jesus spoke these words before the cross, brothers and sisters. He was speaking to people who did not yet have the option of finding their righteousness in Jesus because he had not yet shed his blood. Here's the next question. What satisfies me? What satisfies you? Success at work? Entertainment, fulfilled desires and dreams, gardening, shopping, hunting, fishing, family. I mean, this is not a bad list of, of, of possibilities here, of, of passions, of desires, of pastimes. But I'll tell you what, every one of those can become a problem if we allow them to fill us up or satisfy us. I want to read these words again Matthew 5 6 blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied how big of an impact are you and I having in the world around us when the world sees us do they see people who crave righteousness let me tell you something about the world. Most of you don't need me to tell you this. You already know it. This world does not crave righteousness. So when the world sees you and me, do they see people who crave righteousness? Do they see people who are different? Because let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. Those are the people who impact this world in an eternal way those are the people who shine the light of Christ in this world. one more thing one more aspect of hungering for righteousness you know just like okay this is I, from what from what John was telling me about the porterhouse. the main thing I came to an understanding of was well this isn't the only understanding I don't want you to get into the fine, Finely tuned detail about steak and cuts of meat. All right, John. But but for one thing, it sounds like it is bigger than than your average ribeye. All right, okay. But but even a porterhouse, okay, and a perfectly cooked porterhouse. I'm telling you, it is it is seared, it is seasoned. It's got a glaze of mushroom sauce. On, I mean, we're talking. We're talking quality, people. And, I, and it, it is good. Let me tell you something, though. It only satisfies you for so long. And then guess what? Eventually, you're going to be hungry again. And this is how this hungering for righteousness thing works. After being satisfied by right choices. And don't misunderstand me. Don't get churchy on me, all right? Yeah, I want to be righteous I want a a hunger for righteousness. That's churchy stuff. What righteousness really is, is making the right choices on a daily basis. After being satisfied by right choices, the Holy Spirit goes to work again, and guess what? The hunger comes back. And as we grow, we desire more righteousness In our lives. Make no mistake about it. This is the fourth of the Beatitudes. This is the last of the vertical Beatitudes. This is the last of them. And the three before it have everything to do with this hungering for righteousness. That poor in spirit thing. You remember that? We talked about that three weeks ago. All right. Poor in spirit is basically this, coming to the understanding, the blessed understanding of understanding God is up here and we're down here and there's no getting to him. None. I don't care if you crave righteousness with everything in your being, it does not matter. You are not getting up to God. So what does God do? He comes down, he came down and he lifted us up through Jesus Christ, his son. And blessed are the people who understand that. Who understand that because of our sin, we're here and God is here. And because of that sin, what does that sin do to us? It causes us to mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. But they'll be comforted. And you got that, you got that true understanding of where we stand with God without Jesus. You got that true understanding of, of what sin does to us. And it brings sorrow to us, okay? That humbles us. What's that? The very next beatitude. Blessed are the gentle, the meek, the humble. And you put all of those together and guess what you end up with? You end up with people who begin to hunger for righteousness. You know, as awesome as it would have been, as incredibly awesome as it would have been to not have just the Cliff Notes notes version of this sermon, Can you imagine being there that day and hearing Jesus? Now, of course, you would have to have probably speak Aramaic. Okay, all right. But but let's just say you could and you could understand it. And you're sitting there listening to Jesus and the entirety of his sermon. And it's like, oh man, put me there, preacher. That would be so incredible. Guess what? Guess what? We have a huge advantage over those original hearers of Jesus' sermon. You know why? Because of the cross. And when we look back on these words of Jesus, we view them with 2020 vision. And you know how we get that 2020 vision is called the cross glasses. And we look back at this hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and we understand something. We have perfect righteousness before the Father because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, so many times over the years I have absolutely butchered the words of, of C.S. Lewis <laughs> when it comes to this quote. So so I thought this week, you know what? I'm gonna get it right. So I opened up my old Mere Christianity book and I looked and I looked and I looked and I could not find it. I know it's in there somewhere and I could not find it, so I cheated. And I went to the Googler, okay? And I went to the Googler and I found and I found the quote. And this is this is it. God Now, don't misunderstand me, even though I do believe C.S. Lewis had some Holy Spirit working in him when he was writing. It's not scripture. It's not scripture, okay? As good as it is. But my goodness, I love these words of his. When he says this, God looks at you as if you were a little Christ. Christ stands beside you, turning you into one. Do you get that? Do you understand what the blood of Jesus Christ has done for us, those of us who, who have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus and are followers of Jesus? You, I hope we all realize that when God sees us, even on our lowest days, he sees Jesus. But that's not the end of the arrangement. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is with us, turning us into himself. And here's the question, brothers and sisters. Are we looking more like Jesus to the world around us? That's a very serious question to be asking and to honestly be responding to.